go in peace. Yes, that's right. So, so what's uh, what do you hear is going on with the leadership search at Kensington? I noticed you mentioned that in prayer. But just so. that they continue to advertise in various uh, websites for job placement. They're looking now. I've I've yet to see anything about the lead pastor of the entire organization, but they're still they still are posting ads for um, lead pastor for uh, Clinton Township and for a teaching pastor up in um, uh, Orion. Um, I'm sure there are other things going on too. I don't know, you know, yeah. but, but I know that they you know they're looking for a, a guy to uh, or a, a person. I don't know who what they're you know, exactly they're looking for, but and what their their uh, parameters are. Um, I don't have that kind of information. I'm not that close to the middle. The money of you guys are a lot closer than I am. Come on. Not me. <laughs> I'm on the outside looking in most of the time. I've, re I've refused two times, so. You have? <laughs> 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 well, Apparently, you've been following God's will for your life, and we appreciate that. <laughs> All right, we're uh, we're in James chapter two. Um, we we did a, we took a stab at we got a good portion of the, this first uh, uh, pericope, um, which I would include verses one through thirteen. We got almost. Uh, uh, maybe a quarter, maybe a third of the way through that. Uh, I want to finish that and move through up on into verse eight, if, if Lord willing. But there are a couple of things I think we need to at least discuss. Well, let's start it this way. Let's read this passage. We'll read all of the way through verse 13 this time. And um, thus preparing us for the for maybe moving forward. Um we're in James chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to follow along in your, in your uh, Bibles. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but says to the poor man, now you, you stand over there or maybe sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whosoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but do commit murder, have you not become a lawbreaker? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, we got a lot to go through to get there. 
all the way to 13. My guess is we won't make that today. Very ambitious of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. I always strive to be uh, ambitious. Apparently it doesn't happen very often, but I do strive. So we're in looking in. in Record. Uh, yes, thank you. We are recording. recording. Okay. So um, um, we, we, we've been looking at the first verses of chapter five. We kind of got through a good portion of those first few verses, but I think that uh, we need to remember um, that as an example, God is more in, in, in scripture, especially Old Testament, the poor often is one of the ways that they refer to those who are true believers in, in God and are following the ways of Yahweh. Uh, they're considered uh, and, and, and recounted as being poor. Um, as an example, in uh, uh, and just to kind of show uh, God's thought process on this, Think about Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 9, where it says, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of, for canceling debts, is near. So you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. See, in, in uh, Old Testament times, every seventh year, you were supposed to cancel debts which is kind of interesting because then you'd be saying, well, how much do I really want to give if I have to cancel it at the end of seven years? Or can they pay it back in seven years, right? Wouldn't it be interesting if, uh, our, our, um, if our mortgages were seven, only seven years? wonder what we could afford. Um, cars are now getting up close to that, aren't they? Seven <laughs> years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's so, all uh, the issue. The issue is is that remember in Jewish tradition they stressed the special piety of the poor, who had to depend on God more than they had to depend on anything else. You know, and so as a result of that, uh, God chooses the poor in the eyes of this world to inherit His salvation. God will. Uh, put the glories of his redeemed work on display among them. Uh, and the saving work of God re reverses the status of those who are the most affected by the curse of sin, which is, you know, that, that are poor. Uh, think of uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 47, where it says, Therefore I tell you, for many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been, been forgiven little loves little. Isn't that true about a whole lot of things? If you just, all you ever do is give your kids gifts and they never have to work for anything, do they appreciate the gift as much as they would something that they worked for? It's amazing, right? You know, you give, uh, you give somebody something and they treat it like it doesn't, didn't cost much, but let them have to pay for it. And suddenly it, it, they hold it in much higher esteem. Um, and this is true of, our, of being forgiven. Those who are forgiven much uh, seem to love God more than those who seem to who think they've been forgiven little. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's keep going here. Uh, you know, I, I had a thought too uh, that maybe we should just talk for a little bit about this idea of poor versus rich, because you know while we think we understand 
because we have poor and we have rich in our world, right? Yeah. And we, we know that I don't I don't know if any of us are billionaires, but maybe some of us are. And just you've just never chosen to share that information with us, which is probably a good idea. Um, but uh, in ancient Rome, uh, we, we need to look at a couple of different things so we get a better understanding of how this plays out. Um, we tend to get connected with the idea of poor and rich and favoritism. But James's world is different than ours in a couple of different ways. And I'm just going to point out about three ways and then try to break that down into a, something that I hope hopefully makes a certain amount of sense. Social standing in, in first century was not nearly as much a function of wealth as it is in our world. It, it, it was, uh, it was almost impossible to uh, socially climb in uh, in the world in the first century. Um, you were stuck with whatever status you were at in life. That's kind of where you stood. You stood. You didn't get a chance to move up. Maybe you did a little bit, but not a lot. In fact, it was it was kind of interesting. In uh, giving an example, in uh, Colossians in, in Corinth. Uh, at one point, Rome came through and destroyed all of Corinth and put the sword <laughs> most of the people that lived there and then turned it more or less into some sort of a, a Roman colony as such. As a result of that, there were no rich people that lived, that, were, that grew up in, in Corinth. So if you were a social climber and you could make your living and make some money and get ahead, Corinth was a good place to be because you could be among the elite because you didn't have to be born to it, okay? The other thing is that um, uh, in the economic pyramid of Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, it was uh, virtually no middle class is the way we understand middle class today. Um, let's, let's put it this way. There are a couple of different ways of breaking this down, but the one, one way said this, there, are, there were approximately and again, historians are really all over the board on this, but probably around 70 million, some say as few as only 10 million in the Roman Empire uh, at this time. I don't know. Uh, let's assume even if it's 70, regardless of, of it, only 8% of the entire population had any kind of wealth. 2% were in the process of gaining it. The remaining 90% lived in conditions that we would best describe as poor. They were not, they were, middle class was at best 2%, at best. Social climbing was not a big deal. In fact, here's how you looked at yourself and you're standing. You wanna know where you, you were in the pecking order? Okay, we had something called class, something called order and something called status. Class is kind of a, a non-starter a non in, in, Roman, in the Roman uh, economy because normally we talk about that to refer to income level. Um, Marx used uh, a class to refer to the status of workers as a means of production and where they were in their, in their production capabilities. Um, the proletariat versus the, uh, the uh, higher uh, people who are more wealthy. So it, it doesn't really work in Rome, by, and most sociologists agree with this. But what they did, what it did matter was one, the order. The order of, of where you were and in, in how you were born into it is really important. 
In fact, um, I'm going to try. We'll see how my um, my abilities to do this is going to work. Oh, look at there. And if I push this up just a little bit, maybe come back. There we go. That's the best, closest I can get, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, in social order, the very top were, were, the, were what they call the senators in the Roman Empire, originally a Roman Republic. So the Senate was made up of somewhere between 300 up to maybe as many as six. Some say maybe as high as 900, but they were, if you were a senator, unless there was an, an emperor who decided to take your life, uh, you were a senator for, for life. Your family was wealthy and there was a certain status that you had to do. These were the oldest and noblest of the Roman families. Their wealth was concentrated in land and agricultural production. In order to even begin to enter into this, you had to have what they, they had sestersus, which is a, a form of, of money. And uh, Augustus, the emperor, put as a, as a uh, minimum to be in the part of the society, you had to have the equivalent of one million. By the way, in order to get a better feeling for what that meant, a, a million of this, whatever money denomination was, it, had, it was the equivalent of 250,000 times the average wage of a laborer. Now, just to make it a little more interesting, I figured out how many years that would mean. If I had a million of these, it would mean that I had the equivalent of 685 years that I wouldn't have to work. Not bad, huh? I'd like to be in that. The next level was the what they call the equestrian order. This was based solely on wealth. And you had to have a minimum of 400,000. You didn't have a half a million, but you had to at least 400,000. These were the merchants, the bankers, the enterprisers, the, as well as any consortiums that took government contracts to build roads, supply army, collect taxes. They were not considered as good as the, the senatorial order. In fact, the senatorial, if you want to kind of compare it, it would be like the difference between, say, gross point old money versus Birmingham new money, okay? So even if you had more money than a senator, you just weren't considered all that great. You just were considered second class, but you were an okay class. So uh, the, the senators would often try to distance themselves from these groups. These were the two highest of the orders of, of in the Roman economy, and they, they accounted for one-tenth of one percent of the population. How many horses did you have to have? Yeah, I don't know. But if you were if you were Polish, in order to be a Polish <laughs> nobleman, you had to have one horse. You didn't have to have any land. You just had to have a horse, and you were considered a nobleman. My wife's um, got a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... You can see already, that, now, by the way, I did take a look and it was uh, 2,800 some odd number of people in currently in, a, in America, or not, I'm sorry, in the world are billionaires. So there's a much smaller percentage of billionaires because I looked up that as compared to the number of people, seven point some billion people in the world. And it was, the fraction was so small that almost, I could, almost couldn't read the number on the calculator. It's pretty small. 
but uh, it, so it wasn't true in, in this order as well. Now the next order was uh, what you would consider the, uh, the, the local elite, the, the wealthy. Uh, and here wealth was more important than birth. It just had to be wealthy, it had to be in local areas. This was considered, um, see if I can pronounce it, Decurion, Decurion, that was uh, pronounced. Decurion was a, a member of the local town council or city council. Um, they, they were probably um, no more than 100 per, per city, average city being about 30, about 10 to 15,000 in uh, population in, in, a, in the average city. By the way, there were only, there were about 1,400 uh, recognized cities in Rome, uh, largest being obviously like Rome and Alexandria. But if you were a, a decent sized city, you might have 50,000. Rome could have had somewhere between uh, half a million and possibly even as high as a million, depending upon the, the uh, so the uh, historian you use. All right, so the one other order was the order of Augustalius. And this is the people who, um, who for various reasons of birth or status were prevented from even entering uh, into the Decurion. The Decurion was uh, kind of uh, like the local nobles, if you will. Um, they were the ones that, that controlled uh, the cities. Uh, out of there, you had a, a town council. You had from the town council, you had uh, uh, two people often that were elected to be kind of the leaders of the town in, in there. And um, then you had, the, as I said, you had the Augustalius. Uh, this was a group of probably mostly freedmen. They were probably former slaves who had become somewhat uh, well-to-do. But they lacked official status. So here's what they would do. And so, see if this doesn't sound familiar. Um, they would emulate the Decurions in terms of titles and functions by establishing other things like, oh, I don't know, uh, special societies, clubs, uh, halls where you did crafts. And the same sorts of, of uh, leadership titles would be what you'd have for there. Think of today, think of today like, um, um, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging any of these, these groups, okay, but you know, uh, Aquinas or um, um, uh, Elks. Eagles, Elks. Knights of Columbus. Knight, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of thing, and so you be, you you had a pecking order within that group, right? But it wasn't nearly as important as being a pecking order of say the, over the city or over the country if you were a, a Roman citizen who uh, had um, uh, places uh, of importance in there. So uh, cities normally, as I said, they had about a, a hundred decurions. Uh, they selected uh, a people to uh, to do. Uh, to lead that. And in the last thing, the last part, which I didn't list on the, the, the board here, but this is the final social category was what we call status. Now status had to do with age, status of, at birth, uh, birthplace, gender, wealth, citizenship, military career, 
uh, occupation, all of those things rolled together and it created a sort of status. Uh, generally, rural people were considered rubes, you know, boorish. Uh, think of the tiny town of uh, Galilee in Galilee called Nazareth, a little tiny hamlet at the time. Remember what someone said about that? And if you were watching The Chosen, you've already seen this. I think it was Nathaniel. This is connecting good come from Nazareth. It was mm -hmm. it's been repeated a couple of times, but that was something that was in script. Did it? Could anything good could have come from Nazareth? Nazareth was a was backwater, you know. Um, so you were, uh, you know, you, you were categorized based upon a lot of things, especially uh, where you were born, what your status was at birth. Were you born a pauper were you born a king think about the difference between jesus and herod herod in a palace herod's children born in a palace with all of the amenities jesus who is king of the jews and lord of all creation where is he born stable, stable in a cattle stall in a place for a, a feeding trough if you will instead of having royal linens what does jesus have Swaddling clothes. What are swaddling clothes used for? Wrapping up dead people. Kind of prophetic, isn't it? You think mm -hmm. about it? <laughs> so there's, you know, Jesus comes in the midst of all of this to, um, to set the, 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 the poor free and to give them riches beyond measure. But it's a different kind of riches, isn't it? Now, here's the thing about those of you who are uh, who want to be town council people, you know, and, and be big shots in um, in um, in politics. It's a lot easier to do it today. By the way, a, a classmate, well, not actually, he's a couple of years younger than I am, but uh, a gentleman announced for uh, to run for governor. I'm guessing he's running as a Republican. It's never been said in his literature what he's, how he's running, but his name is Ralph Rebant. He's from, uh, I believe, uh, uh, Farmington Hills. Pastors mm -hmm. a church there. I'm not sure why a pastor decided to run for governor, but he did. He announced yesterday on the Capitol steps, and uh, there was little or no attention paid to it in the news, by the way. He's got no name. But anyhow, he's a friend of mine, uh, an acquaintance of mine, and he's running for running for governor. So if you were a person who was a leader in the, in the community, what would you have? How would you have to respond as a leader? You know, you take care of road projects, you give out contracts, all those kinds of things. But here's the deal. You didn't take this out of the coffers of the city. You took this out of your own personal wealth. Oh, you want a new road? You paid for it. Oh, you want a new coliseum? You paid for it. You, you wanted a public works project, like maybe a new Roman bath? You paid for it. You paid for everything. In fact, uh, there's a guy, a pro-council in Acts chapter 18. Uh, we get we read about this guy by the name of Galileo, uh, Galileo, who is uh, 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 Paul is brought before him in Corinth because of uh, the Jews are upset with him. And so they bring him up on charges before a Roman proconsul. 
And the Roman proconsul Galileo, Galileo says, yeah, forget it. Get out of my, get out of here. I'm not going to deal with your issues. He didn't break any Roman laws. You deal with it. As far as he was concerned, Christianity at that time was just another part of the, uh, of the Jewish religion. It was just a brand, another branch of it, an offshoot, if you will. And so um, we think about the fact, that I love the fact that Luke gives us names and titles. And in, if you were to go to Corinth, you would find the, the remnants of a building that he paid for. And by the way, what you did when you paid for it is you also made sure that your name was on it so that you would get credit. So the most important thing, while wealth was really important, honor became very important. Remember, in this, in, in this part of the world, honor and shame uh, had a higher percentage than, you know, for us, it's, it's guilt. Uh, we do with guilt. They dealt with honor and shame. Honor became very important. And so they were honored by having their name prominently displayed where everyone knew all of the good works they had done. In fact, it's said that some people... Some people became so uh, in, uh, interested in receiving honor that they actually, some of the wealthier people, spent themselves into poverty in order to gain honor. Honor was more important than wealth, apparently, in, in certain parts of the world at that time. Now, it became very hard, hard for you to get glory and honor after the Pax Romana, after the Peace of Rome became important because... Uh, glory and honor could only be won up until that point in time on the battlefield or maybe through the area of local politics. But with the establishment of Roman rule, uh, the only way you could get honor and favor was to do things like build and spend money on projects. So, uh, you, you know, uh, that's why even today there's a certain amount of that too. too. Remember, we have hospitals that have wings and they're named after so-and-so or yeah, yep. the Carmanos Institute, which takes yep. care of uh, cancer yep. in Detroit. You yep. know, we named, you know, because if you give enough money, you can name something. I, I'm thinking that if I'm really lucky, I might get a parking place named after me when I, by the time I get through contributing. <laughs> and I'm going to have my name on there, you know. This parking <laughs> place donated by Valen Press, so I, I'll be important. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a gravestone named after me. Yeah, yeah, I, I will have one of those possibly too. So that's the issue that we're dealing with now. The result of that is, let's go back to uh, let's see if I got anything more to say on this. I know we've spent a lot of time laying out all this, and I, uh, but I wanted you to get an idea of the importance of. When James talks about the rich, he's talking about people that are uber rich who are still in the process of persecuting people because they're poor, because they can, because they can get away with it. So uh, remember, he says that there are three things that they do. They, uh, um, they exploit you. This is in chap uh, chapter two, verse six. They exploit you. Um, this is the idea of brutal, tyrannical, de uh, depriving of someone's rights. We've seen evidence of that at times in our country, in certain areas. And it, number two, they drag you into court. It means they, 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 they literally drag, they draw or attract you into court. The, the idea is they means that uh, 
the implication is that the rich people themselves are the ones who are laying hands on them and dragging the poor into court. And then lastly, they slander the noble name of Christ. This is the, uh, the term uh, slander is the term, the English uh, word, if we translated it uh, or transliterated it, it would be blaspheme. We don't use that word as much in our current society, but it's the idea of uh, speaking irreverently or disrespectfully of, of a deity, specifically for us, God or Christ. Says, uh, Deuteronomy 28, uh, 10 says, then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of Yahweh and they will fear you. That's how important God's name was supposed to be. And often we treated it with, we, we treated it with contempt. So a man who's dedicated to God is uh, by calling God's name over him. The, 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 sometimes it was called the sacred name uh, or that was called. All right, let's see. I think we've finished up through there. Let's pick it up in chapter uh, verse eight. Let me get back to my other notes. Okay, so um, this royal law is found as royal law says what? What's the royal law? Love your neighbors yourself. Well, how really? And if you do that, according to you're doing what's right. Obedience to the love command, it can also be found in, in Leviticus 19.18. Let's see, let's, I, I didn't put that in my notes, but let's go to Leviticus quickly. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse, verse 18. That can't be right. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 18. There we go. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your, of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I suppose that that's helpful. Uh, it could be more helpful if you didn't, as long as you loved yourself. This royal law is, is something that even the, the Greeks would understand, although remember this was written specifically to the Jewish believers. This is one of the first books written in the New Testament. And it, it's important that we understand that, um, that everyone knows that, that uh, the beauty of this law is that it takes seriously both law and mercy both sin and grace god does not excuse us from our sin but he does he is willing to forgive us uh, look at, at romans chapter 1 verse 20 for since creation of the world god's invisible qualities that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from those who have been made so that men are without excuse if we jump down to romans chapter 2 verse 1 it says you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge others, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. By the way, there's a difference between excusing something and forgiving something. Sometimes when we excuse it, it's more like we, we're accepting their apology. If you think about this, it, it, the idea of an excuse is a claim that the offending party is not, in fact, really guilty of the offense, 
or or they deny the seriousness of the offense. You know, I made an excuse. I I didn't see the I didn't see the stop sign officer. I uh, I didn't realize the the speed was that that low. I, I thought it was 120. <laughs> yeah. We we make excuses. Oh, I, I I dropped something. I was picking it up. You know, um, the difference between that and forgive. To forgive is to it 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 grants the full weight of the guilt and the seriousness of the issue, but it goes ahead and nullifies the guilt. When we've been forgiven, God doesn't say, oh, you didn't do anything wrong. He says, no, I view you as though you've done nothing wrong. But by the way, my son took your penalty. And James regards this, this, this sin of favoritism is so serious that it stands in, in in a stark contrast to the lack of concern in which the Christian community viewed it. It's possible that this typical, this is a typical view of Hellenistic Judaism that, uh, uh, and in fact, this idea of, it's interesting how they play this out. Uh, one author says that literally what's happening here is, and I had to think this through, but they're saying that the problem with this is that you're playing on the guilt of antinomialism. Anybody remember that? I know it's been a lot of years since we've used the term antinomialism. Rick gave me a book. He got involved with a group and, and it bought a book and it, it cracked me up. The idea of antinomialism was, well, there's the picture in the book and the title of the book was, was a guy smoking a cigarette and saying that he was forgiven. Uh, the idea of antinomialism is this, it is, uh, uh, it's all about grace. And the idea is that the more you sin, the more God can show his grace to you. So it's okay to do whatever you want because God's grace is sufficient. So once you become a believer, you can still sin and do all the bad stuff you want because it just allows God to show more importantly how important his grace is. I live by that book, by the way. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> now I got thinking I probably should put myself back on the camera here. It was when I was smoking, for one thing, but it, I think it was called something like uh, uh, How to Love God While Smoking a Cigarette or something, something like, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got it around here someplace. It just cracked me up. <laughs> the idea, to the glory of God. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's almost as like uh, Spurgeon said when the lady asked him, she, he was on a cruise ship. Uh, I think you're traveling, I forget, maybe from over to France, I don't remember. But uh, oh, yeah. he smoked cigars, and she wanted yeah. to know how he could smoke such an evil thing. And he said, taking a puff out of his cigar, he says, ma'am, I do it like I do everything else, to the glory of God. <laughs> <laughs> Makes so, me want me to go buy a big fat one. There you, yeah, go. there you go. So the issue is, are we understanding the fact that Jesus says it's important that the law is met, and it, and you can't just disregard part of it. It isn't like you can say, oh, this part of the law is more important than that part of the law. And he gives the example, you know, well, if you commit adultery, but you don't murder, it's okay. Or, But if you commit, if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, it's also not okay. In other words, you can't get away. You can't get away from this. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, it was interesting in uh, the verse in Leviticus you quoted, the love your neighbor is put in the context of neighbors being fellow Israelites. Yes. But, but Jesus expands this in his parable to your enemy is your neighbor. When the guy asks him to define who his neighbor is. Um, Who's my neighbor? Yeah. Yep. It's, and he says it's, it's, <clears throat> it's everyone, basically. You know. Of course, he, he, I love the way Jesus did it in that story of the Good Samaritan. Because think about this. If he had had the Jew take care of the Samaritan, if I was a Jewish pe people, a person, I would be patting myself on the back saying, you see how good we are? Look, mm -hmm. me, me. But when you use your enemy to be good to you and you don't expect it, man, man, that really... It really jumps in your face, doesn't it? Because yeah. I have to be—I have to love you guys. Can you believe that? I have to actually love you guys. Interesting example of uh, the Lord changing the old law. I mean, it's pretty specific in Leviticus, and Jesus kind of twists it and turns it. Of course, yeah, he goes on to say, though, take care of the poor, take care of the. Uh, you know the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the uh, aliens, and the and the uh, um, um, prisoners. And Jesus talks about that as well. But he says that it also is in the Torah. So you're basically showing mercy or grace. Maybe maybe you expand it to love. But yeah, Jesus Jesus remember Jesus says I did not come to to do away with the law. I came to do what. Fulfill it. Fulfill it. So what is he doing? He's showing us a broader, a deeper understanding of how you fulfill the law. He says, don't commit adultery. But what does he say? He goes on to say, that's that's okay, but it's even more than that. It's not just, just don't commit adultery, but what? Lust don't in lust. your heart. Don't even lust after a person. He says, don't commit, don't commit murder. But he goes on to say, it's, it's, it's more than that. What else does he say about it? Don't hate somebody. Yeah. Oops, I'm going to have to re repent from a few of you guys, maybe. <laughs> That's why yeah, you're good. A, uh, I was going to say, there's another layer to that. He says, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we always find ourselves beating ourselves up about what we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a piece that <laughs> falls down. I mean... If, yes. if we can love others, we ought to love ourselves. Yeah, in fact, uh, Tim Keller wrote a very small little booklet on that. It's probably worth reading if you guys can find it on on forgiving yourself or loving yourself. Um, it'd be it's well worth uh, checking it out. Um, yeah, the idea is uh, that this law, this royal law, this noble law is the action of, of self-sacrifice for others. And that's how our faith is demonstrated. That's tough. You know, it becomes the, the fulcrum. This law becomes the fulcrum of the judgment that on which we are judged. Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? And it goes on to say, if you don't show mercy, you're not going to be shown mercy. I don't know how that plays out, but that, that, doesn't that bother you just a little bit? Doesn't that worry you just a tiniest bit? 
Sounds like karma. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. L listen to a couple of pa passages. Uh, Exodus 34. Um, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, or Yahweh. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, the Yahweh, the Yahweh, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abundant in love and faithfulness. Go on, look at Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In, in 1 Samuel, remember what, what Samuel says to Saul? Is not obedience better than sacrifice? Sacrifice, right. What are, how do we do that? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <coughs> be merciful just as your father is, is merciful. James, um, the Lord says in Luke 6. Merciful attitude is one of the evidences of a person who truly is alive in Christ. Wow. You know how hard that is sometimes? And it's at the weird, weirdest of times that it happens. I go into a restaurant. I sit down. I expect to be served. I have to wait more than five minutes for someone who's being harried because maybe it's really a busy place. And I get snippy with the waiter or waitress, the serving person, because, you know, they haven't taken care of me in the time of which I think they should be taken care of. What if God does that with us? I told you to do something. How come you didn't do it in a timely fashion? Reminds me of one of my daughters. She was always compliant about one, you know, daughter, you need to pick up your room. Okay. Okay, daddy. Come back an hour later. I you haven't picked up your room yet. You need to get at it. Okay, I'll get it right on right now, Daddy. Come back a little later. Still not done. <clears throat> yeah, don't we do that with God? I'll get to it, God. Uh, Father, I, it's okay. I, I'll get there. I, I know you want me to fill in the blank. I know you want me to talk to my neighbor about Christ. I, I know I should be serving you more. Maybe I should be reading my Bible. I'll get around to it, I promise. Always have the best of intentions, just not following through, right? All right. Did I step on enough toes? <laughs> yeah, we do it already. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Huh? Think about the fact that our world, we love money, we love status, we love, uh, we equate that to power. Uh, we dig ourselves and we want the status even if we don't have the money we'll dig ourselves deeper into debt just so that we can keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths we spend our money on wants and we try to convince ourselves it's our need my wife used to and my kids, when I when we were small, we'd go through the drive-through, and I always felt bad about I want this and I want that and I want something else. And they say, "What would you like to have?" And so I would say, "I would like, I I need, and I want." 
And they used to laugh at me because I was said, well, I'm just trying to change it up so it doesn't sound the same way through the microphone. It was kind of like writing. You don't want to use the same word over and over again. If you ever written anything and you had someone, an editor critique it, they'll tell you, oh, you've used that word too many times in this, in, in this paragraph. You need to you know, change it. But the issue is sometimes we get caught up in mistaking needs and wants. And we, we tend, and, and don't we do that in advertisement? Oh, yeah. Especially average, certain kinds of marketing. We put out there, you know, the new car smell. I love a new car smell. I feel good in a new car when I first get in and drive it. It's great. Can't afford one, but it's great. That's why we lease today, right? We don't buy. <laughs> but how many times have we seen people go into bankruptcy because of wanting to live beyond their means? You know, I, 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 I'm not sure I told you that this, but I'll just share this in closing. We need to watch uh, what we do and how we live and be careful about that. You know, um, when I was a young man, I thought I had the tiger by the tail when it came to our the business. And uh, I'd gone out and I bought a new house. I bought a condo in Mexico. I bought two new cars. I thought I had the tiger by the tail. I came home from my two-week vacation and found out that my business had dropped and that year it dropped over 50%. I managed to get rid of the condo, but I, how do you get rid of a house? How do you get rid of cars that you owe more on the car than they're worth? I went into debt really deeply. Fortunately, I didn't go bankrupt, but I, it took me years to dig out from underneath that debt. Years. Because I lived basically beyond my means. Careful what you do. God says, if you can't afford to take care of the, the poor, maybe you, you're living incorrectly. All right, we're going to get there. We'll get back to this next week. We've already reached that point where it's time for us to close out. So next week we will deal with the rest of the